welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Today we're talking about John Scalzi's second book in the Interdependency series, Consuming Fire. Peter, how'd you like it? Well, Cece, it should come no surprise that I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very good. <laughs> it had all the great parts of the first one that we just completely gushed over the first time we did, or when we did the first one. Yeah. And it just came back with more, and it was amazing. It's kind of a perfect sequel, to be honest. Like, it's a perfect second book in a trilogy. because Yeah, absolutely. Kept track of all the characters you liked and, like, wanted to keep track of. It introduced a couple new ones to sort of expand the pool a little bit, keep things interesting. Mm -hmm. Brought you to new places that were initially referenced in the first one. Like, I just think it's a, it was just a really good follow-up. Absolutely. It followed up on all the kind of questions and little tidbits that were dropped in the first one, which is a really big challenge for an author in the second book. Yes, Because you have maybe, especially if it's like an author like John Scalzi, who has all these ideas kind of teeming around his mind, and he's really got to follow up on that. Right, definitely. Without There's like... just... Without just introducing like a ton of new ideas and completely basically throwing out the first one. No heads easy. Now, how would you like to comment on this? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cece keep, has the talking stick now. I keep thinking you're done, but you're not done. I do this to everyone in my life. <laughs> it's very obnoxious. Anyway, um, uh, yes, yeah, so I was just going to say there's a lot of like different aspects of the universe, like plots and characters and scientific threads and historical threads. And there's there's so many elements, which is what makes these books so much fun and so rich and so enjoyable. Absolutely. And he doesn't forget. He keeps track. No, John Scalzi never forgets. That's what they say, you know. <laughs> That's what my mother always told me. I, my mother always told me, yeah, elephants remember a long time, but John Scalzi never forgets. <laughs> exactly. So should we begin at the beginning, Peter? That seems like a good place to start. Um, I remember, so the first time I read this, I was very confused because initially you go into like the entire biography of this one bishop character and like how he found, not God, I guess, Rakella, how he found Rakella and how he became like a man of the church and had this illustrious career and the whole time was grappling with his belief that he had had a vision or hypoxia. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think... I don't think grappling with the whole time because like i feel like very quickly he was like beaten down i guess beaten down by the members of the church yeah i guess once he joined the church everyone was just like don't be ridiculous that was hypoxia <laughs> which would be sort of the opposite of what you'd expect to hear from your fellow spiritual people but um i, I love that everyone's like sounds like hypoxia to me but okay <laughs> and then like towards the end he's like yeah but it was probably hypoxia <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he like, tells it at dinner parties yeah, it's like his go-to story. Um, I I was very confused because that character never came back. But, you know, in retrospect, it serves as a very good introduction to the church and its philosophy and how it deals with spiritualism versus, like, practical matters. And it keeps coming back to the idea that it's this very practical church. They have faith in the mission of the church, but they're not overly concerned about, like the spiritual aspects of it they just want to be in the world do good works follow like execute raquel's legacy basically which in a lot of ways i can really appreciate i know i get that (laughs) that's a very nice idea to me i like it a lot i like it a lot for a church to feel that way i mean especially (coughs) in this universe like it's a very practical it's a mercantile universe and 
kind of their focus on let's just be practical and let's do good things is I think needed it kind of follows along the themes but it is very necessary in this world of a lot of greed right and it's funny because it's pretty much the only time we've spent with somebody who had religious fervor over the Church of the Interdependency and Ray Kella. <laughs> like, really no one else. Corbyn never really talks about it that much. She just sort of references it. She's a very practical bishop. She's a very archbishop. practical archbishop. <laughs> and uh, this character whose name I can't even remember was, like, the only person who was fervent about the church. And then eventually that sort of died down to just being like, yeah, I've had a good legacy here. I've done good work and that's enough. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I kind of realized as we were talking about just now, what's interesting is that the first book very much focused on the mercantile guilds mm-hmm. and kind of the inner workings and the relationships between them. Mm-hmm. And this one was obviously church focused. That's very true. Yeah. So I look forward point. to the the third one, which, dear listeners, is coming out April 2020. Yay. Um, appropriately titled The Last Emperor. So. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's going to be cool to see. I think it's going to be like an in-depth dive into the Emperor and kind of that office, which we've gotten so far, but I don't know. There's a theme that John Scalzi seems to be very deliberately setting up, and I think we will see much more so of <clears throat> of uh, Cardania wielding imperial power, which we haven't really seen a whole lot of except in the end of this book. Right. So... You know, she becomes a consuming fire. I think the emperor is about to be a little more hands-on than people are used to. Well, they also talked at the end about the idea of whether the office of the emperor has absolute power. And Mars is like, yeah, you definitely have absolute power. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, I don't feel like it. And you don't see her sort of come into her own. Like, you see Cardinia grow a lot throughout this book. So I love about this book. It's, it's so yeah, interesting. It's definitely one of the very good aspects of it. Um and that whole conversation, I feel like, is a turning point for her where she's like, I guess, yeah, like, I do have the power and I do need to execute with it this mm-hmm. vision to try to save as many people as possible because you're facing down an apocalyptic event. It will spell the death of a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, and you are the only person who has the power to potentially alleviate that. Not even prevent it, probably, but alleviate it, make it better. Yeah, and I think that's when she really gets forced to acknowledge her role. Yes. She knew it academically, but I don't think she knew it. Yeah, and that's probably why she was at the end like, okay, no, I'm I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to address parliament. I'm ready to take down my enemies. I'm, I'm ready to use Chidi's power, which is a very scary thing. Oh, yeah, we didn't even write that down before we started talking. Yeah. Yeah, but that's very interesting. The idea that it it doesn't it doesn't keep all information, just the secret stuff. <laughs> but that's a very useful tool, and it's funny how it's not like advertised. Nobody told her that it could do that. She just stumbled across it, and she's like, "Yeah, I've been archiving this stuff for this whole millennium since I was born." So, <laughs> I mean, I think it's funny because none of the emperors seem to have been aware of it. Yeah, no one thought to ask. They all saw it as some simple computer program. That's only purpose was to let them talk to their past lives, essentially. I don't <laughs> think anyone Avatar-esque. thought it was a simple computer program, but yes, mm-hmm. I agree with you in essence. Not a simple computer program. Okay, fine, a complicated computer, not an artificial intelligence. Yes. That and, is a uh, question, though. Is Cheeky artificially, like, is, is Cheeky intelligent, sentient, you know? I, I don't, don't think, think she's so. sentient. 
I don't think so, but it's very intelligent. Definitely a very smart computer program. Yeah. It's but very you interesting. Jihee really only acts that way when he, or really acts like, like a person when he is inhabiting the roles of the emperors. That is true. And then so even think, then, sometimes they don't really act like people. <laughs> oh yeah, they're like reminding her that she has no, they have no super ego. Yeah. Her dad's telling her about how much sex he had. <laughs> yeah. But but then again, she knew enough to be like, I don't think you had the answer to this question. And she's like, well, now you have to tell me. It's like, all right. But G was right. <laughs> she did not want to know. Nope. No one does. No one ever does. <laughs> but that, I think that was a funny moment. It was. I mean, this book is so full of funny moments. It's very funny. One Pretty much any fav- time you spend with Kiva. That's true. One of my favorite lines, though, in this entire in this series and probably any other recent books i've read and it leaves me in stitches every time i've listened to this book (laughs) and it's like the the churches are packed with people that are like you know returning to faith or finding faith or are like know that some freaky shit's going on they just want to cover their bases (laughs) (laughs) i love that line (laughs) and it's pretty accurate no, it's a hundred percent true. Like, <laughs> let's like, let's all call this what it is. <laughs> yeah, cover your bases. Yeah, I can respect that. Look, if the flow streams are collapsing, maybe there is a god. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's all. But going if there to hell is anyway. one, I want him to like me and not send me to hell. <laughs> Shows up with a fruit basket. Like, hey, we haven't <laughs> talked. <laughs> I mean, it's. It's a lot of what it's representative of this universe, though. I think that line like really yes. shows this universe for what it is, which is one where people don't seem to really care about softening blows. There's not a whole lot of like, you know, niceties unless you're specifically in politics, right? Like, and even then, people are willing to say it how it is. Just Kiva Lagos is the perfect example. That is very true. Kiva's mother. Oh my God, bless who Kiva's I love. mother. We didn't get <laughs> her in this book, did we? I don't think so. Oh, she's the best. I hope she comes back in book three. Yes. I do, too. We got Nadashe's mother, though, who's a very interesting character. Yeah, very weird. I like I her. Think, so, wait, I want to actually talk about something here. Let's throw the list out real early. Okay. Um, unless you want to go back to Visions, because we meant to talk about that first. We should get We can get back around. Go on. <laughs> okay. I thought it was really interesting when Countess Nohama Peaton met, uh, Card- um, met Cardinia or girl in the second, I guess, in that moment. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and was like, you know, they were having this conversation, and here Cardania thought she was, like, being nice. Yeah. And, like, doing a nice thing. Cause that's, and we know that Cardania meant it that way because we know we, like, we can, we're in her head, really. Yeah. We, can, we know what she, her personality is, and she's not political. She's not conniving. She's not going to threaten a helpless person. She right. was legitimately trying to do something nice, and she has this, like, question the whole time of, could Nadashi and I have been friends? That was very interesting. I, w- I did not expect that. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I think in many ways, Nadash- Nadashi, some of Nadashi's better qualities are things that Cardenio really wants. Yeah, definitely. And I think that probably led to, in a big way, Cardenio's blossoming in the end of this book. Yeah, probably. Fire. Embracing those traits that she, she wanted to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I get it, because Nadashi's definitely charming. Like, I like Nadashi, despite the fact that she's kind of an evil bitch. Yeah, like, I get it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, she, her character rolls around, and I'm like, I, I get that. Yeah. Like, all right. But, anyway, I thought it was funny that um, Countess Nahama Peaton and Cardenia came away with that with such different views of how that happened, and it's really what 
shows you what happens in this universe when someone that's honest and good meets someone who is like the personification of everything that's wrong with the society yeah definitely corrupt like, selfish yeah, evil. exactly all these bad things yeah and she completely misinterpreted the intentions <laughs> of cardenia which is funny because for the most part cardenia was not uh underestimating her like she handled her really well up to that moment and it was just that one thing was a misstep yeah i thought it was because she was hilarious. trying to be nice and nobody sees niceness when it happens Mm-hmm. they just assume it's some sort of threat right exactly god it, again though kiva's reaction to that conversation i freaking love kiva's commentary <laughs> it's the best <laughs> it's so good when like <laughs> she doesn't even really need to be there most of the time but Grayland calls her in and it's just like hey watch this shit <laughs> <laughs> which is really fun it's so cute especially at the end when he was like oh yeah we're definitely gal pals now. <laughs> that's definitely yeah. the only reason i'm here <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny but then when Cardinia calls her up and she's like watch this <laughs> like, literally watch this did she just fucking wink at me <laughs> yeah. God, I forgot about that. I love Kiva. Kiva's amazing. Thank God for Kiva. Kiva and Cardinia's relationship is my favorite thing about those books. I know. They're so cute. We're definitely um, gal pals now. <laughs> so back to the visions. I think yes. I I really like what Cardinia did there. I think that it's definitely questionable whether or not it was a the right call. But I really enjoyed it as a course that she decided to embrace the divine side of being emperor. Mm-hmm. And she sort of had in her court Mars, who could figure out like what she should have visions about, basically. Be like, okay, this is what's gonna happen. And then she could basically use that scientific data to color her visions and then announce them in that way. So that people who weren't gonna believe the data, but who might believe in her divinity and her power as emperor would believe her i mean i thought it was a good strategy yeah i think it was really cool i mean it was definitely let me listen lying to your people is usually morally questionable yeah but there's definitely a couple things she does that are generally morally questionable (laughs) which i think goes to show you more cardenia's development like in the first book she wouldn't have thought to do that yeah that's like her willingness to do what must be done in order to save lives the Which stakes think, are so, 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 so high. You can't really get squeamish about ethics. Yeah. Which, you know, in many ways is part of the office of the emperor or any absolute office. That person's given absolute authority with the understanding that when they have to wield it to save lives, they will. Like when they have to wield it to benefit the people, when the policies of the democratic government, to which to what extent there is one in this case, fail the person with the absolute power can step in and do what has to be done. Well, it's like the idea of the uh, ancient Roman dictator. Like, in times of crisis, we will give absolute power to one person so that action can be taken swiftly and without fear of consequence in order to protect our people. Which I really love. I love the idea of the Roman dictator. I mean, obviously it backfired eventually, but in a perfect world, it was a lovely idea. (laughs) And it worked for a long... Like, a lot of people were declared dictator then gave up power afterwards. Yeah, this is true. It happened a lot, and that was a really cool thing. Anyway, that's part of what belongs in my uh, Rome fancast. (laughs) Your Rome fancast? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just really into Rome, you guys. 
give me a little bit and I'll, I'll say a name later and it's gonna be the name of the the fan cast but like i've got to think of it first so <laughs> okay well, we'll think of something you, you want to talk about for a while while i think of this um, oh man no Pressure. but anyway <laughs> <laughs> i think this book was had a particularly interesting part which is all the struggle between cardenia and i guess the assembly or like the the, the politicians yeah the executive and who, committee and everyone yeah, else exactly who could kind of direct the church because the church was this great powerful unknown i mean and essentially it was a neutral party through all these conflicts yeah and it was the church just trying to decide who they were yeah i was glad corbain did what she did i think she handled it super well too like i like the fact that she was regularly calling everyone in for conferences like she wanted to know what the church wanted to do. Yeah, she was a very good leader, I thought. Yeah, really, though. She like, heard everyone out. She consulted with her with her advisors. She bought them dinner. She bought them dinner. <laughs> like any good boss. Like all good bosses buy dinners. <laughs> We're working late. At least you get free food. I mean, fair. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the agreement. Pretty much. But yeah, she did a really good job. And I, I liked watching her deliberations over the course of the book. Which I think is really cool because because she did such a good job, because she, you know, wanted to understand the will of her people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know that in the third book, the church is going to be a staunch ally of the emperor. Yeah. Because Corbain did her homework. This was not a whim. This was not a shifting loyalty thing. This was just genuinely taking the time, listening to all the different sides, weighing out the best option. And I think that she's doing it for the good of the whole interdependency, not just the good of the church. Yeah, and you, and I think she wouldn't have done it if she didn't really believe that because Cor- Corbain's one of those people throughout these books that like didn't seem like a bad person. Yeah. She's just kind of the best person she can be in this world. There's not a ton of unambiguously bad people. I'd say that the Lady Nahamapetan is. Yes, I would say Countess Nahamapetan. I would say Nadashe is pretty bad. Yeah. She's pretty which bad. I, which I feel bad about because you kind of like just follow in line with the storyline. Like, yeah, oh, the, the evil Nohamapetans. But in, in some ways, I get it, Nadashe. Like, she was trying to do good for her family, and that's what she was always taught. Yeah, definitely. She definitely emulates her mother in that way. And, like, you can see her trying to live up to that. She's yeah. not unredeemable, but she might not be redeemed. You know, she might stay a bad guy, but yeah, she but also like, might not. If in the third book she's like, all right, I'm over this, I'm so sick of this, then you know what? Okay. Yeah, I'd believe like, it. It wouldn't be totally out of left field. Yeah, I'd be behind her. I wouldn't be like, oh, God, I hate that Scalzi is forcing this storyline. Yeah, I think she... Yeah, exactly. I think that she would keep, like, her character traits, but she would just be using them for the Emperor instead of for her family. Mm-hmm. Now, so where did like she stand at the end of this book? Was she arrested or did she ghost? Uh, you know... I don't know. I'm not sure if it's ever the ship just bounced. I think she just bounced. Probably. I mean, that would be the advisable thing to do, is to just take the ship and run. Yeah, because... She I might mean, have gone everyone, to end. Everyone else got arrested. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway. she's she's basically now the acting head of her house, so... Ooh, I don't know if she theory. went to go touch base with Granny, or what. I have a current theory. Yes. Somehow, she's going to end up in end, and she's going to be Cardenia's agent. I hope so. I think that would be a very interesting way to settle the issue of end. That would be very interesting. Because the other way is unimaginable bloodshed. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, could be taken. 
but only by throwing enough ships through the gap that they can't kill them all before they come back online. Yeah. Like, that's the only option. So I think, um... I think Cardenia is probably trying to find every way possible to secure end without having to resort to that. Well, that's why she was like, hey, we're going to find a back door. And Mars is like, actually, yes. And then the book ended. So. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I see I the necessity. Really yeah. Absolutely. I also think it's like, there aren't that many. It doesn't seem like there are that many people in the interdependency. Uh, What? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's, like, a lot of people in it, like, billions I mean, and billions. You think there's billions and billions? Yeah! There's billions I, and billions of people on Earth right now. No, that's my point. They're all living in artificial habitats. Yeah? I think it's unlikely... I don't know. I think that there's de- probably not... I would say 20 billion. Does that depress you, by the way? The idea what? of just, like, most of humanity is living in fucking O'Neill cylinders. In yeah. random, Except they like, seem to be desolate into it. systems. Well, not most of humanity. A very small fraction of humanity. Well, as we learned. Well, no, actually, that's not true. Because apparently a fraction of humanity. the free systems was like the most populous. No, it was the least populous because there was so populous. little habitable space. Hmm. I mean, yeah. No, that made sense. I don't know why they did that. Oh, no, it had the most systems with the fewest people. That's what it was. That's what it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. Most like Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Alaska of the universe. <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> then Alaska set off nukes at its borders and set itself adrift. <laughs> Just low-key what happened. In, in the interdependency, not in Alaska. Oh, no. Have you not seen the news today? Oh, no. <laughs> we lost Alaska. It's Alaska's gone. like, what is going on? I'm out. <laughs> you guys are all insane. Bye. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway. Um, but, like, so if it's, I don't know, I think 20 billion people at most. Which uh, I, think, I believe twenty billion, which is a lot. I bet if if end is the size of Earth, I bet a modern like a super advanced society who's spent the last you know hundreds of years, thousand or more than a thousand years, developing technology to do things like grow food in a very compact area. I bet they could all live on end if you could get them all there. Um. Yeah. Probably. I mean, because, like... Or, like, in, power... in the system event. Definitely. Yeah, at the very least in the system event. Because I bet nuclear power, not an issue. Although that would be a problem because they couldn't bring minerals from other systems. Yes. So you'd have to only rely on the minerals available in end naturally. Well, you could you could just travel to your, like, actual neighboring systems. But it would take a way longer. I mean, yeah, they would have to, like, physically travel there and not just take the flow and sheet. Yes, exactly. So... It would be like really, really long term travel. But although maybe done. they like, they do they wait for because the flow is shifting. Maybe they like they jump in one real quick and then come back. Oh, you know, and like every this? like twenty years they just take their shot. Yeah, maybe. It's <laughs> depending on how the flow shifts. You like, have to have a lot of faith in your scientists to do that. They really just go and raid other systems for minerals. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's true. That could be that could be a possibility. I mean it's perfectly viable or they I mean otherwise they're going to have to have really strict population controls. But well, the theoretically point all stands, the flow physicists will be gathered on end so they can all work on it together. Yeah. I mean I think the my final point is though, like there's definitely they could support the entire population of the free systems on end. Yes, probably. And they could even like it could even have end just be a giant city and have, you know, cylinders and stuff like that that Go on the agriculture, yeah. Yeah, or if they're already doing agriculture, that's natural sunlight, probably, unless they have... Hmm, I guess they didn't know how to need to, but... 
probably they're doing it with that natural sunlight, I'm guessing. Probably. Um, I mean, there's something wrong with End, right? Like, End is desolate. End is fine. It's just there's not a lot of people, I think. But, like, then why wouldn't everyone want to live on a planet if given the opportunity? Be, well, that's the whole idea. Remember, like, Kiva was talking about how unnatural it was to have an open sky. Yeah. Like, they've just been living in habitats for so long. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's just I bet End was a later to. discovery. Yeah, so they're all used to living on habitats. They're all used to, like, trusting human engineering as opposed to nature oh no you know what it was Raquela made end the prison planet because she wanted to um like reinforce the idea of interdependency and if end became like its own colony it wouldn't need any other planets oh okay that makes sense i think that's what it was um anyway p.s just like a quick note while you were talking about them like (laughs) doing raids for minerals I just started thinking again about that one ship that got lost, and boy, howdy, was that depressing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When they're, like, and, you know, and they're, like, giving the timeline, like, in six months or something, like. Yeah. And they, like, lasted for kind of a while. Yeah. And then the one guy, like, made the whole journal, like, counting the whole thing, but no one would ever read it. Yeah. That was really depressing. It was very sad. But they did go against recommendations, so. Yeah, I mean, they did not follow the traffic control's orders. Yeah, this can happen. Yeah, so, you know, just goes to show you, always try, follow your uh, traffic <laughs> always controller's orders. Always listen to the cops. That's right, the kids. cops. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, let me see, we talked about visions. Shall um, we go into Dallas Isla? Oh, let's talk about all that we discovered there? So much. It was a very rich vein. Thank you very much. John Scalzi. Yeah, Scalzi, really appreciate that vein for us. Scalzi, <laughs> I know you're writing this book specifically for us to do this podcast. Thank you for that rich discussion vein. Uh, very unsettling, like, the time that we spent there, but very, very interesting. It was unsettling and also unsettlingly hopeful. Yeah. Like, it, it was weird. Because, like, the Dallas Eastlands were a depressing picture unless you remember that, oh, yeah, they've been, like, scavenging for 800 years. So, they're lucky to be alive at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And they, um... You know who they reminded me of? Who? Do you remember in Hyperion? What was the name of the scavenger race, essentially? Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about, though? Like, they just lived in space, and they were super, like, lanky? And they had tails? Oh, yeah, those are the bad guys, right? Hmm, debatable. Weren't they bad guys? Yeah, but some people were friends with them. That was the whole point, remember? Like, the one guy was like... Anyway. I, the, don't, the, I do not remember their name. <laughs> I don't remember their name either. But I hear but what you're saying, where they're, like, they adapted to this sort of scavenger, space-born lifestyle. Yeah, they're all, like, super tall and lanky, because they haven't lived in gravity in, you know, like, real gravity in years. Yeah. Like, 800 years. Well, didn't they say the Dallas seasons were somehow both short and lanky? Because they were malnourished, but also had that whole oh, not inconsistent gravity situation yeah they were definitely small interesting because of malnourishment yeah they're weird they're very interesting though yeah and like <laughs> um i found the sort of linguistic stuff very interesting and yes trying to get the point across they're like they're not stupid how do you think they survived they just seem like they i guess seem primitive to you or something but they're not idiots like, one yeah, of the characters was like, they have a chief engineer? It's like, of course they do, asshole. <laughs> Why wouldn't they have a chief engineer? You think they can make it this long without a chief engineer? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely smart. 
they're just not as I think that notion came from the fact that they're using technology that's you know it's like 400 years old yeah like and that's what they learned to adapt and they haven't exactly had the surplus resources to experiment and that's kind of the sad thing about Dallas Isla too like they weren't rescued they were just like given a support but yeah. I don't I mean that those people might still be doomed long term like they, they'll get another couple generations out but who knows what'll happen after that I mean the way I read it is like they gave them you know, pretty significant amount of resources. Yeah, like a huge, beautiful ship to scavenge. You know, plant, hydroponics, seeds, food, entertainment. I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're good forever. But I'm saying that, you know, I, I don't think a few generations is fair. Like they made it so much longer on very little. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We got another couple hundred years at least. <laughs> also, they used a lot of resources fast early on because there weren't that many of them, or there were so many of them. But now there are so few. There's like a ship or two. That's true, yeah. So I, I bet they'll use resources way slower. They're also better at using them. I bet they'll last a while. I hope so. I wonder if we'll ever find out what happens. Um, I bet, if, assuming that The Last Emperor is, like, the last book, I don't know, I'm hoping there's a... Scalzi seems to like these, like, narratives of things that are happening elsewhere. Yeah, he's definitely omniscient narrator type thing. Yeah, exactly. I could see him doing, like, something at the end of the next of the last book, which is, like, you know, the universe in a snapshot, like... Like yeah. this habitat is dying and like de- describes the death of this other habitat because they didn't make it out or something like that and then it's like but here's hope the Dallas Eastlands that'd be good I wonder if you're right I'd enjoy that I look forward I, to finding out if you're right I hope I'm right <laughs> me too yeah. um, but yeah, so yes so in Dallas Isla yeah yeah Ch- uh, Ch- wait Chenever Chenever that's how you say that yes Chenever an awesome character Chenever is like Kivo level awesome character. He is a funny ship, which is a great sci-fi trope. <laughs> ship with a sense of humor. <laughs> that is a sci-fi trope I have not gotten sick of. Yes, I never will. Like any robot with this, like any computerized thing with a sense of humor. Like since R two D two. Um, I mean, among other things, just the reveal that the the like brain mapping uploading technology is very old apparently and it's earth old predates the rupture is very like i don't know that just that i feel like it gives you a weird sense of place with like how far in the future we are pointed out like oh yeah that's some old technology from earth it's just always been expensive and unwieldy yeah which is super interesting and his like i think it's very cool the idea that you know, of course, other people like once you learn that it's elsewhere, of course, someone else is developing it, like or someone else is researching it, and improving it. Like, duh. What do you mean? Because his is better. Well, yeah. So Chenevere's is better. They talked about this. Yeah, definitely. And like, it's another one of those things that's like, of course, it's been you know. At this point, probably like how do we know how long ago the rupture was? I would say. Like say 50, 2,000 years, maybe? I think at least 1,500 is safe. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. It was definitely the, centuries before the open, like the start of the interdependency. Yeah, the interdependency was founded like 1,000 years before. Because Raquel didn't know about the rupture. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Raquel had no idea about the rupture, and she was not part of any plot to hide any of that information. Right. Um, yes. So, you know, it's a, they, they've been, the assembly, who are pretty call, sure it's called the assembly, uh, have been working on this, or members of the assembly have been working on this technology for, you know, 2,000 years. Right. 
of course it's better and more elegant and like a more comprehensive final product. Well, let's see. How long before present day did they get to Dallas Like 300 years? I think it's like 300 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're right. Like 1500 to 2000 years longer. They've been working yeah. on it. And it's like not a hidden thing. No, it's like a commonly known thing. It's just really expensive. Although I did call bullshit on that being enough for uh, for Greyland to figure out that Chenevere was the king. <laughs> um, yes, I agree. It was a fun moment. Well, I just didn't believe that, that would be enough. I think it was that, and also like he did a very stately bow or something. Oh yeah. I think it was a combination of those two things. It's like, oh yeah, it's really expensive. Well, you know, mm, okay. I think her calling him a king was weird <laughs> i think like if she had been like oh he's a you know a, a like a, a state official or a leader yeah made more sense because like as far as she's concerned the only people that have this are the emperors right so as far as she you know for all she knows it could be a thing that's been forever right like only you know state leaders have have been able to afford this or have had this right i just think um I don't know. I, I think there's a reasonable jump. I think for her to go, oh, he's a king, was a weird jump. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Um, especially because he's like, well, you know, we called them viceroys, but yeah. Like, that. okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's true, yeah. Anyway, that yeah. was that was fun. I liked that moment. Yes. I thought it was great. Um, I especially really loved, because you know, this has kind of always been my weakness when it comes to these kinds of things <laughs> i love when they start talking about the rupture yes and like what that meant for the history of their society yes and the fact that the assembly and whatever the like soul system was knew about it had not forgotten about it but the interdependency mm-hmm. had and like he literally says oh how interesting you had an actual dark age that, it is interesting. That was <laughs> like I was like exciting. I felt excited when he said that. I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> this is gonna open so much." <laughs> yeah, it, like you had a dark age where you forgot knowledge. Yeah, you literally lost parts of your history, which I think is so fascinating when we come to the stories like this. It happened in the foundation. It happens here. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that there is information that won't be saved is so ridiculous to us. I know. Everything's kept track of now. We have all of these ways of saving it. Yeah. We have so many different formats. We have things that, you know, last, as far as we can tell, forever. Mm -hmm. Like, people are saving data in glass, like cubes of glass. Like, very (laughs) holocron-esque. Yeah. Um, We're obsessed with saving data. Yeah. Like, we save data, save data, save data. But I think it's interesting because, look at this way, like, the digital age happened you know 70 years ago more or less than 60 what what was the it was the the atomic age and the digital age right uh i think so i we're we i know we're in the digital age so it was like 50 ish years 40 ish years ago right so like we haven't actually made that much data yes as far as things we're recording and like all also our data has gotten so much denser right True. like i can look at my text messages for the last year and that's more text than, you know, like, writers have written throughout their entire lives. Like, just, <laughs> just like every day, firing off a couple texts. And, like, yeah, there's so much more data. And that's only some things. Like, pictures on Facebook. All that stuff. Like, a picture is harder to store than an entire book. True. So, I think that as technology advances, 
we get our data needs to be packed denser and denser and eventually you have to start throwing things away yeah and i mean that was one of the things that raquel said too she's like it's way easier to hide things just by burying them than to like try to actually hide them absolutely because you know when we discovered when we made cds and we moved from floppy disks someone had to go and copy every bit of data we had on floppy disk to cds that's true something got missed that's true. I'm sure they went, oh, this isn't important, or, oh, they will remember that, and then it's not copied over. Totally. And all of a sudden, you know, you've forgotten about the rupture of a really significant event in your past. Right, exactly. So I think it's interesting, and it is kind of sad. That they had a dark age? Or do you mean that it's... we will eventually not be able to save every piece of information? Yeah, that, like... I mean, it even so even already happened, but you can look back in the in the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages and say, oh, you know, some asshole burned down a, a look at the um, Library of Alexandria. Ugh, every nerd's nightmare. I know it brings me pain. I know. Um, but we could anyway. learn from that, and it was destroyed. But yeah, so think of what we could learn. It was burned because some dick decided to burn it down. Yeah. And now that information's lost. Like something like that's going to happen again to our modern data. Yeah, data centers can be destroyed too. Data centers can be destroyed. Hackers can set off data destruction bombs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that you're right. That the next logical conclusion is that eventually, things, no matter how major, will be lost because, like you said, we're not even that far into the digital age, and they were millennia after the event of the rupture, so they didn't know about it anymore. It makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's, um, I don't know. I think when we first approached this in, like, the foundation, I was like, that's dumb. How did information get lost? Yeah, that's totally true. We were both like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You're a modern tech, you know, you're a modern and advanced, well, they had microfilm. Anyway, you're in an advanced <laughs> society who's traveling between stars. How could you have forgotten where Earth is? Microfilm. Not enough space. Microfilm. I love it. I love vintage sci-fi. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i think that's the like that's the the lesson we've learned over all the sci-fi we've read yes all righty um but the idea that another dark age could be coming very compelling yeah i mean like the cold look at the cold war we were all afraid of nuclear war what do you think would have happened after that it would be a dark age assuming people were left well, that's true which just makes me think of um children of time yeah, absolutely. Do you have it like yet? Like how they lost all that information. Yeah, absolutely. They had to like also rediscover ma- human technology. It also makes me really understand data hoarders. Data orders? Hoarders. Oh, hoarders. Who is that? Like there, there's even a subreddit about it. Like people that just basically write bots to trawl the internet for every scrap of data and they have like large private storage servers. Is that like a weird prepping thing? Like a digital prepping? Kind of. I Yeah, I mean, in a way. Why do they do that? Um, they do it for lots of reasons, depending on the person. One of the common ones is, like, they're afraid of a dystopian future where information's controlled. So oh. they want to have all the, a local copy of all the information. Interesting. Um, personally, what's that movie about, a? Uh... Oh, crap. Crap. <laughs> Damn it. This is great audio. There's, like, the guy about, like, <laughs> the, he, like, learns, like, gun fu or something. But, like, he, his job is to go and find, like, records of humanity, like, art and shit and burn it. It's a little bit Fahrenheit 451. Okay, let's look at Fahrenheit 451 then. Okay, there you go. <laughs> oh. 
But like if something like that happened, except digitally, then like these people have their their private data stores. Other people do it for I mean, people do it for various reasons, but that's one of the common ones I've found that I think is relevant here. So it is. It's exactly like prepping, but digitally. It's yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly prepping. It's info prepping for not a, a apocalypse, but a dystopia. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. The internet is full of cool. interesting people. Yeah, there oh, there's people that do anything. <laughs> if you could think of it, somebody's into it. It's a cool subreddit, though. I suggest you look at it sometime. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, one of the other things I thought was really cool was learning about the relationship between the Assembly Soul and the Free Systems. Yes. And the Tripartite Treaty. Definitely. Like, that was an interesting idea, and also the free systems are a bunch of assholes. They definitely are. And like it was dicks. very it was very chilling. <laughs> the idea of, like, the old guard is clamoring to be separated for whatever bullshit reason. It's like, it was basically Brexit. What we... <laughs> <laughs> the rupture was Brexit. Yeah, it wasn't? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I actually agree. I know. <laughs> Which is annoying. I'm annoyed by that. They were like, they had the treaty, but it wasn't good enough. And they felt like, I guess they were going to be taken advantage of or something. I don't know. What For whatever reason, they really hated the other two. And so they passed this law, did this thing, and eventually realized what a huge mistake it was and were voted out of office. But by then it was too late. It had already been done. They realized it was a huge mistake and decided to hide the fact that it happened. Yes. Yep. Like, they just didn't talk about it. So we'll find out in 200 years whether people still know about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> in 200 years, like, like we're, you know, we're going to be, like, on our deathbeds, our grandkids are going to be like, hey, why why is England not part of the EU? <laughs> yeah. It seems so dumb for They're them. They're in Europe. <laughs> it would make a lot of sense for them to be in the EU. <laughs> but um, Ireland's come, in the EU. I mean, it's weird, right? <laughs> come, my child. <laughs> they don't teach us in school anymore. They've hidden his knowledge away. They've hidden <laughs> under piles of bullshit. Come it's with me to my server memes. room. Come <laughs> into my secret server room. <laughs> I love it. Here, look at this glass cube. It's got all the information stored in it. <laughs> and I die now. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. This is my last deed. Peace. <laughs> God. I think no. I it, let's be honest. It's gonna the last word's gonna be something like eat or something. <laughs> Your last words are gonna be eat. No, but I'm gonna get yeeted out of my body, so I might as well just say it. Eat or get yeeted. <laughs> the Lord yeeted the Lord yeeted. Wait, the Lord no. What is that? <laughs> the Lord yeets the Lord yeeted the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard it before, but I'm just making it up based on what you said. It's an internet thing. No I'm doubt. sure someone has it on their server. No doubt. All right. Anyway. So, so yes. Eat. So yeet. <laughs> um, so I think Shinovera was really cool. I think that his kind of... I want to know why he was driven out. Like, I wonder what happened. I know. They said it was not un- entirely unjustified. Like, I'm like, but why? Was it French Revolution-esque? Was he a dictator? Did he kill all his people? Like, what happened? I enjoyed that he I, was French. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that he was French. I just want to know... I'm just saying, you shouldn't be buddy-to-buddy with a deposed king unless you know why he was deposed. That is true. But he only has limited power. He's just one ship. It's a good ship. With laser beams. He does have laser beams, and he uses them very well, however. He's he's very good with his laser beams. <laughs> he was too into laser beams as a hobby, and people didn't think he was paying enough attention. That's why he was supposed <laughs> Like, all you want to do is play laser games. You big lighthead. <laughs> oh my god. Alright. Anyway, moving right along. 
Um, so do you want to talk about Sheehy's power more? We kind of briefly talked about it. Um, yeah, we talked about it a little bit more. I, it's, it's very spooky. It's like basically unlimited power, but I think it's a, it's a tremendous tool of the state. Like that's very useful. We basically try to do that in the form of the CIA right now. So NSA, NSA too. Does the CIA not do that? I didn't think so. Well, not, I mean, not they're digitally. Just way better at it. They just do it. Maybe they're better at it than the NSA. I don't know. We don't even know who does it. That's how secret it is. Damn, you're so good. <laughs> but the point is, is like every country has intelligence agencies. She's basically that. Yeah, it is. Although the yeah, interdependency does also have an intelligence agency, so. Man, I bet they really wish they had the information she has. Yeah, I mean, she could basically make them obsolete. Yeah, which I think is kind of a cool part of. The, the emperor's power. Because first of all, none of the other emperors knew Chihi did this. Right. I think it was, it, at best, it's a glitch in the code. Like, yeah. they just, they said, hey, Chihi, find secret, like, find, protect information. And she said, okay, all right, protect the information of the emperors. And she's like, everything's the emperors. <laughs> and then went and found all the secrets. <laughs> I mean, basically, oh, Chihi, you scamp. <laughs> oh, you little rascal. <laughs> Well, yeah, because Rekela was around when Chiki was designed and didn't know about it. So, like, this was not a deliberate part of her. It. No, this is not a feature. Like, this is just an accident. <laughs> Everything's the Emperor's. <laughs> Do they say that in the book, or is that just your understanding of it? That's my understanding of it. <laughs> but, like, I think you're right. Is th- I think it's probably what Chiki's interpretation was. Probably, because, again, not built in, as far as we know. No. As far as we... Oh, man, what if we find out about the secret programmer? <laughs> the coder behind Chigi? Yeah, that's that's the third book. He's the last emperor. <laughs> Surprise. Haha, <laughs> this big nerd. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, uh-huh. that actually, that makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Like, All of the old. information in the independency belongs to the emperor, therefore Chigi buried it all. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, this might get deleted. I'm going to save this in my secret server room. Chiki is also on that subreddit. Chiki's <laughs> a data hoarder. Chiki's <laughs> <laughs> a mod on the subreddit. <laughs> Basically. I'm going to check that subreddit out later and see if there's a mod named Chiki. <laughs> um, anyway, so. But I mean, like, Lucky Cardinia. And it's a good thing yeah. she's a good person. And I thought that was interesting. Mars is like, please never tell anyone that. And she's like, I have no control over that. <laughs> like bad news when i died that's coming out <laughs> yeah that's true so now that she knows like that information is available for I all future emperors except that she's the last team. emperor so who cares well no i think that's an argument to be made that like when she dies she's gonna destroy that room uh i guess it depends on a lot of things also the room is stuck in what's it called oh that's true in um Xian. it lives in uh yeah in Xian. so the so you Chiki know, so might keep on gathering, but Chiki's going to be alone and not have anyone to tell. Also, not have anything to gather. Eventually, yes. It's going to be in Chi- it's just in Xian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they probably will abandon Hub. You're not wrong. I mean, yeah, there's no, I mean, unless she's going to bring that with her, which I suppose is not impossible. Yeah. She's the emperor, damn it. I mean, yeah, she can just bring it. Like, yeah. It's not, it's not NBD. Cardinia is such an interesting combination of, like, willing to u- use the tools of state, but not particularly psyched about the power they give her. I mean, I think that's that was this book. 
Like, what? Well, like, book two, Consuming Fire, the story of Cardinia not wanting to use the tools of state, but using them. Yeah. <laughs> reluctantly using the tools of state. And then less reluctantly using the tools of state eventually. Like, I think she's one of, she's like a, because she's not an idiot. That's been clear from the start. Cardinia's extremely intelligent. Yeah. Like, she's well-educated. She's been, you know, she's been kept informed of many things. Right. She's no fool. But she's also a genuinely good person because she was right outside the ta- uh, outside the palace. Right, she did not really live a life of extreme privilege and entitlement. Yeah, and um, she just lived like a normal life. Yeah, she was just like a normal. It's like um, Princess Diaries. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's basically me at Thermopolis. Wow, good pull. <laughs> good Thank pull, Cece. So <laughs> um, damn. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's Mia Thermopolis. <laughs> what a fucking name. Amelia. She's Amelia. Alrighty. Anyway, Thermopolis mostly. That's what I was talking about. Not Mia. Mia's a normal name. Mia's a, a nice regular name. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yes. I think that... I also think that, you know, maybe her children would be cool. Uh, well, that's a question. Because, like... She's probably going to raise her children to be pretty cool, but eventually, assuming she, I mean, she's the last emperor, but assuming, like, her family re- retains this Wait, power, re- retains the power of Chihi, at least. Yeah. Which I could see happening. Yeah. Like, they just put it in their house on end. Yeah. But, like, eventually someone's going to be born that gets access to this. It's kind of a douchebag. That's true. Things get diluted over time. I mean, there's been lots of crazy emperors. Yeah, exactly. And, like, her dad seemed like a pretty cool dude. Like, sex, but that's pretty normal. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, there have been some crazy emperors. So, you know, it's not everything. And eventually, like, her... She's probably gonna teach her kids pretty well, but eventually, yeah. Well, and, too, and when you're in that sort of a position, like, you might <clears throat> want to be the type of person who can really raise your kids yourself, but realistically, you don't have time. Like, they're definitely going to be raised by nannies and stuff. They're definitely going to have that alienation, and, like, it will be hard to have a relationship with them where you can, like, make sure to instill these values in them. I bet, assuming that she has children with Mars, Mars will raise them. That's true. Mars is pretty cool, and he's not going to... Like, it wasn't a political union. Like, Mar- if Mars and Cardinia have children, it's because they want to have children together. That's true. So, uh... We'll yeah. find out. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll, time will tell. Yeah. I love them. They're very good. <laughs> they're very cute, and they're, like, they're such, like, the classic, like, there's two friends in your group that keep spiraling, and none of them, and they never connect. And then they do, and, and it's, like, all exciting. Yeah. But, like, neither of them really believes it. Exactly. It's so That's cute. them. They're adorable. I, Mars is such, like, a poor little sad sack at the end of the book where he's, like, I'm definitely falling in love with her, and I definitely know that this isn't gonna last, so, like, what do I do? This sucks. Yeah, although she's not going to be the emperor anymore, or, or not really, not the emperor of so many systems and needs to, like, tie them together through political unions and shit. Yeah. Who gives a shit anymore, you this know? This is true. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I would find it surprising if she ended up with a political marriage, but we'll see. I would, too. Knowing what we know about Cardinia. Yes. And where we are in the universe right now and what's going on. I suppose on. she can end up with a political consort, but, like... Well, and you know what, too? Like, Mars is social... Like, he might not have come into the story well-ranked, but his social capital is only growing if he can figure out a way to save lives. That like, he will he be the hero get, of the interdependency. And I feel like that's what he can figure out how spend. to get it to end without, like, spending the entire military, then yeah. Yeah. Like, 
he wins. How to get to end, and also how to get the rest of the interdependency to end. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's a pretty high price to pay. Like, you don't have to get her a gift ever again if you do that. <laughs> You're good. Yeah, nobody's really worrying about your, your political rank. Like, you literally saved billions of lives. You can do yeah. whatever you want. That's the most political rank. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, you and the emperor are just high-fiving at the top of this mountain of shit. <laughs> of living people. <laughs> oh, shit. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, anyway, going by this universe, yes. I mean, it's a lot of people on one planet, so uh, maybe. <laughs> they could just throw it out the window before, but now they have to actually worry about it. <laughs> they could just space it, fill an airlock, and blow it. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Imagine being okay. in a spaceship. <laughs> oh, God. Gross. So I think that's a so huge waste of resources. Mosquitoes. They wouldn't have done that. That's a huge waste of resources. No, they probably like reprocessed it or used it as fertilizer for their farms or something. Yeah, exactly. Also, they can use it as uh, food. Uh, what? Remember? They turned it into bars. What? <laughs> they turned it into bars. Into little food bars. What are you talking about? Was this in the first book? I think it was definitely in one of the books. That they could turn shit into food? Yeah, like reprocess shit into, in like human waste and shit, into like food bars but human waste is everything we couldn't process i mean yeah they add new shit into it they add like vitamins <laughs> pretty sure this is in the first book <laughs> that's gross let's uh wrap up on that delicious note. do you have anything else to talk about no i think i'm covered what about you um Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just want to appreciate the fucking Greyland the Second's handling of the coup. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. It, yeah, it's I, fantastic. And I like I how pissed it. she is that Darren got away with it. Oh yeah. Like, it's, it's hilarious. Like, stupid Bureau of Intelligence <laughs> gave him a deal, didn't even ask. I mean, in fairness, it saved her having to reveal Chihi. Uh, no, she could just be like, Vision's bitch, and move on. That's her whole move all the time. Okay, yeah, but like... Which was weird, by the way, because she's like, Darren accuses you, also Vision's. But I guess it was her way of being like, but it's backed up by actual data, and you can't pretend that like I'm just making this up and using that as political tool. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like that's how she had to do that. It gives her some legitimacy. Yeah, like, a, a traitor coming out and, like, it turning on everyone, yeah, that's not uncommon. Like, that's how the independency runs. Yeah, pretty much. Like, someone stabbing everyone else in the back to make a deal better for themselves, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't think, I think Darren, like, that was such a twist on Darren. Like, that was so good. I know, who knew? Darren's a slime ball, but I love it. I know, I'm kind of fond of Darren. Yeah. He's a little creeper. All he wants is to just run his house. Yeah, but honestly, I appreciate that. He set reasonable goals. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to be emperor. That sounds terrible. That's shitty. <laughs> this Kardin is was like, fine. yeah, Kardin it is. is like, wise move, Darren. Wise move. I mean, really, though. Especially, like, he probably was like, man, if she's right about all this shit, I don't want to be emperor. <laughs> yeah, this is a bad time to be emperor. <laughs> I want to die rich and with free time. Oh, God. Anyway, on that better note, let's wrap up. <laughs> okay, much better. Thank you for rescuing us. You're welcome. I saved us all. So our next book is going to be Ringworld by Larry Niven, doing a little revisit to the vintage sci-fi. Yeah, it's coming out August 5th, and I think it's an excellent book you guys will really enjoy, especially if you enjoyed Rendezvous with Rama, or Rama, whatever. But um, 
I, if you enjoyed either of those, then uh, I think you'll very much enjoy this one, especially because it answers more of the questions that it asks as opposed to Rama, which is only questions. Yes. So I'm very excited to get a book with questions and answers both. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I felt like we got ripped off with the Rama. Oh, Rama was so good, though. It was so good. <laughs> All right. So, Cece, where can they find us? Uh, if they want to find us, they can go to facebook.com slash sci-fi sidebar or facebook.com slash signifying nothing network where you'll find any announcements that we have and that sort of a thing. Uh, they can also email us at signifying nothing network at gmail.com. Right? Yeah. And they yeah. can tweet at us too. <laughs> and they can tweet at us <laughs> at signifying and nothing network on Twitter. Or sig nothing net. Sig nothing right? net. Yes. I did a yeah, really good job. Uh, you can search Signifying Nothing Network Twitter, and it will bring you to our page, I'm pretty sure. I haven't tested that. See, see, we don't have very great SEO. Sig Nothing Net. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Also, if you have a recommendation for a better handle, let us know. <laughs> if you guys could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that would be awesome. And don't forget to share us with your friends. Yeah, if, and that's, uh, that's how we grow, because God knows we don't pay anything for this thing. That is true. That is true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then um, if you have any uh, suggestions or requests for future episodes, go ahead and reach out to us. We already give you our email. Um, you know, we'd really like to try to do something that you guys are into or try to tell us about new books that we don't know about. Definitely. Cece and I have talked regularly about how much this podcast has been kind of an ex- a great way for us to broaden our horizons into books we've never heard of or never even considered reading. Yes. And, you know, if you have some sort of niche book that you think we should cover, then... You know, send it on over. I'd love to, to read it or you know, or something. And then, uh, you know, if it works for us, we'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> do I always say it? Do, all right, this has been <laughs> Signifying Nothing. Whoa, wait, this has been Sci-Fi, sci-fi Sidebar. sidebar. By the Signifying Nothing Network. A, a tale, tale told by as, idiots. As always. <laughs> we were oh going to say God. it together. It was going to be cute. You ruined it by being quiet. Oh, God. You were going to say it together? Yeah. Wait, let's try it again. <laughs> yeah. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar. By the Signifying Nothing Network. A, a tale, tale told, told by, by idiots. idiots. <laughs> Nailed it. First try. So good. Bye, guys. See, See you next August. month. <laughs>